to me. And that first step starts simply with this, God, remove all the other distractions from my life. Take away all the noise from this world, all the things that the world tells me I can't do, I can't be because of my past, because of my mistakes. But we aren't defined by the world, we are defined by God. And guess what? God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. You don't have to be educated enough, or smart enough, or good enough. Just have to be willing. So this year, as we start this first Wednesday, I am glad that this is the song that they chose. Church, you may be seated, and those who need to be dismissed, you may be dismissed at this time. Uh, so, something a lot of you may not know, in, in case you didn't know, th this is my wife, the beautiful singer up here. I never ask her to change or, or pick a certain song before I preach on a Wednesday. So, sometimes before I come up here, I'll ask her what song she did choose, but I never ask them to, to pick a certain song. I never say, this is what I want you to do. Because I love when God confirms what he wants to say to his people. I love when God can speak to different people at the same time, this harmonious message that he wants his people to hear. And if you didn't guess it yet, tonight I want to talk to you about being used by God. If you will turn to Daniel chapter, turn to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to spend most of tonight in Daniel's kind of 1, 2, and 3. So if I start speeding up a little too much, that's where we're going to be, Daniel's chapter 1, 2, and 3. Um, this, this month, um, Pastor Powell actually is slated to preach on the Wednesdays. He wasn't feeling well tonight, so he asked me to step in. And he asked me on Monday night to step in, and I'm like, God, what am I going to preach on short notice? And I, I don't know. And just like that, it kind of came to me, and I got this, this idea in my mind. And the story of Daniel jumped out to me. Now, the story of Daniel is one you probably all are somewhat familiar with. Specifically, the, the story we're really going to talk about tonight is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's Abednego, not Abednego. Just a little, little pet peeve, sorry. Okay, so the story of the three Hebrew boys. We're familiar with this, right? That they get thrown into a fiery furnace, but God delivers them. But there is so much more to this story than three Hebrew boys thrown into a fiery furnace. Tonight I want to talk about that. So Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 26 from my opening verse here. It says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. If you will allow me just for a, a few moments, I want to start this first Wednesday in 2022. It's kind of hard to believe. The first Wednesday in 2022 with this topic, called to the fire. We are called to the fire. Now the scene found here in Daniel chapter 3 is one of the most commonly told Sunday school stories. And for good reason. Here in a bit, we're going to walk through chapter 3 and most of the verses and really get a good picture of what happens. But to fully appreciate what takes place at this fiery furnace, we must back up a little bit to Daniel chapter 1. We have to kind of set the stage here to know why the story of the three Hebrew boys is so amazing. You see, in the beginning of the book of Daniel we find that the people of Judah have been overthrown or overran by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. They have come and uh, the king Jehoiakim uh, was not doing a very good job and ended up being um, cast into slavery under the, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So here we find these, these three Hebrew boys plus Daniel plus many others. The story focuses on them, but the truth is, is that there were many, many, many Jewish people who were under captivity in the Babylonian Empire. And in this chapter, we see that these three wise men were guarded by the king's guard. Now, why? Why is this the case? Nebuchadnezzar had somewhat of a reputation of 
when he would capture new countries or new peoples, he would find those that he considered learned or educated, those who were of high stature, and he would pull them out from the other slaves, from the other captives, and he would put them in his uh, uh, unique palace so that he could groom them to use them for himself. He valued knowledge. And so he would take these people, but I want you to notice something in, in what happens here in this story. All right, so what he does is he takes them, he puts them under the guards, and he gives them the king's meat and the king's wine to, to nourish them for a period of time. Keep all of that in mind. This meat that was offered by Nebuchadnezzar was often meat that was also sacrificed to the many gods that the Babylonians worshipped. The wine that was offered was, was considered more fermented wine. Or, um, and there's kind of a difference when you go back in time to the wine that was used. Wine that we would consider to get drunk on versus wine that was more for flavor and taste versus wine that got you very drunk. But keep all of that in mind as we set the, the stage here. In Daniel chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. It says this. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and, had, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans." Verse 5, and I want you to, if, you, if you're taking notes, put a star by verse 5, highlight it, make a mental note, whatever you need to do. But I want to really bring out something in verse 5 here. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, why three years? Why it was, it was very systematic in how he did this. If you notice back in verse 4, he pulled these certain individuals out. And after he chose these people, he chose specific people whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And then he took these people and he put them in, in, a, in a separate place where he would feed them the king's meat and the king's wine for three years. You see, the reason that he was doing this is he was putting these men, these well-educated men, in a position so that they would be conditioned to be dependent on the king. It was the king's meat and the king's wine. The clothes they were given came from the king. By the end of the three years, they were now defined as the king's men. This was a very deliberate process that was taking place here. He wanted men who were educated so that he could teach them the ways of the Chaldeans, so that he could condition them to use for his purpose, for his pleasure, to advance his ideas and ideologies. Now we pick up in verse 6. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. Now, let me pause right here for just a moment. And tonight is more of a teaching night, so expect a lot of pauses. Okay, because there's a lot of rich meat here to, to take. Names sometimes have very specific meanings, um, especially specifically Hebrew names. We talk about how they, they represent something. But it was also very common for a name to be changed based on where they were geographically. So you take, for example, Saul of Tarsus. Saul became Paul. There was no real revelatory change in why Saul became Paul. It was that Paul was the Greek name that Saul went by, and Paul's ministry was unto the Gentiles, which at first was primarily to the Greeks. Here we see the exact same thing. These three Hebrew boys were now in Babylonian territory, so they were given Babylonian names. So instead of Hananiah, um, uh, Azariah, and Mishael, now they were known as Shadrach, Meshach, uh, and Abednego. All right. So verse 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and unto Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Verse 8. Listen to verse 8. If, you, if you're taking notes, this is where you want to highlight again. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defy himself with the portion of the king's meat, 
nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. That word defile is very important here. Okay, Remember that word defile. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse likening than the children which are of your sort? So he was worried here because remember, he is conditioning these people so that he can use them. So he appointed these guards to make sure they were well-fed, well-clothed, well-groomed, well-taken care of, so that they would be grateful and appreciative and dependent upon the king. So these guards, you have to keep in mind that these guards are like, look, if something happens to you and you get sick because you're not eating any of the meat, it's coming out on me. The king's going to punish me. So, so this man becomes very concerned about this. But listen to what Daniel tells him. Uh, verse 10, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse, worse likening than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs has set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenances of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. Often we as readers will read through chapter one and immediately go into chapter two, which we will talk about in just a minute. But I need to bring your attention back to verse five. Because it says that this process lasted for three years. So we can assume, I'm reading a little bit into the text here, but we can assume that at least three years has elapsed from the time of the end of chapter 1 before we start to get into chapter 2. Okay, So when we read this story in chapter 1, often we think of the three Hebrew boys eating the pulse because Daniel, and if you read through chapter 2, it talks about that it wasn't just Daniel who ate the pulse, but Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. That we, we think of them eating this pulse, which was greens, right, not of the meat, for just 10 days. Now, for you super spiritual people out there, you know, you think 10 days on a fast of, of greens and water, okay, I could probably do that. But that's not actually what the text says. The text says that they needed 10 days to prove to the prince of the eunuchs that them eating this pulse instead of the meat would not make them worse. So after the 10 days when the prince of the eunuchs looked at them and their countenance was actually brighter than those other ones, he said, okay, I will allow you to eat the pulse and not the meat because the meat they were, didn't want to defile them. So this means for three years they ate of the pulse and water so that they wouldn't defile themselves by the king's meat. Why is this important? Because we all would like to think that we are ready to go into the fiery furnace. But have we spent the years in the life of obedience to prepare ourselves for the fiery furnace? You see, long before the three Hebrew boys had to make a decision that was going to cost them their lives, they first made a decision not to defile themselves with the king's meat. It is easy for us to sit here in this room, in this heated, comfortable room, with all of our amenities and say, yeah, when that time comes, when, when the end time comes and all this starts happening, I'll be ready. I'm going to be ready to do all that. But have we lived a life conditioning ourselves to be obedient to God so that we've proved ourselves ready to face that trial when it comes? You can't expect to dance in the furnace without first developing a life of obedience. Let me say that just one more time to make sure you got it. You cannot expect to dance in the fiery furnace without first developing a life of obedience. Now we go on into chapter 2. Now chapter 2 to me is very interesting. Chapter 2 is the story of Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a statue. And I'm not going to go into the statue and list all of that because that's not really the point of what I want to get to here. But he has this, this very unique dream. So he comes to the other, other wise men. And by wise men, I just mean his soothsayers, his astrologers, these people that he's collected through his, through his different campaigns that he looks to for knowledge. 
And he does something very unique. See, if I were to tell you, oh, I had this dream, and in this dream, um, I kept seeing this man with a red coat, and every time I saw this man with a red coat, I became deathly afraid. You might be able to put together some kind of story as to what that meant, right? If you're wise and crafty, you could think of a story and, and convince me, oh, that's what that dream means. But you see, Nebuchadnezzar was pretty smart himself, too. So instead of telling his people the dream and saying, now interpret this, he says, no, no, no. If you can do what you say you can, I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then tell me the interpretation. Because he said, if, if what you're asking is you want me to give you the dream so you have time to think about an answer. But I'm telling you, give me what the dream was and the interpretation. Now, this wasn't just some kind of challenge like, oh, can you do this? Understand that these people have been conditioned to be servants of the king. So if they could not fulfill their one purpose, that was it. They would die because the king no longer had need for them. Remember, he spent three years conditioning these people to serve him. They were the king's men. So when they hear this, this um, uh, plea or this, this uh, call, if you will, from the king to do this, the, the, the Bible tells us they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, what you're asking of us has never been asked before. No one's ever asked us to, to tell you what, what they dreamed and the interpretation. We can't do this. So the king becomes very angry. And now these people are scared. And just so happens, one of these people will remember, wait a minute, I do know this one guy. His name was Daniel. And he can tell you, he can probably do this. So the king sends for Daniel, and Daniel comes before the king, and the king tells Daniel what, what, the, what the, the, the task at hand is. Now again, understand What's at stake here? If Daniel gets this wrong, he's likely to lose his life. But I love Daniel's response. And I didn't even write it down here, but I, I strongly encourage you to read chapter 2. Daniel's response is he tells the king that surely I cannot do this thing. No man can do what you ask. But there is a God in heaven who knows all things. You see, Daniel's strength was in always knowing that it wasn't him who was giving this wisdom. It wasn't him who was giving the interpretation of the dreams. It was his reliance on God to provide him with the information he could not have attained on his own. And he lets the king know this right up front. It is not me who is going to give you the answer. That there is a one God, a God in heaven, who can do what you ask. So he does. He tells in great detail the dream to the king. And then he gives the interpretation of the dream to the king. Now, I find it quite amazing because Nebuchadnezzar in this time tells Daniel, he says, Daniel, truly, you serve the one true God. Nebuchadnezzar is a very interesting character because he, I, I'm convinced he was bipolar. Because when you read through the chapters, there's one chapter where he will tell Daniel, you serve the one and only living God. And then in the next chapter, he says, I am the God. and You have to bow down to me. And then in the next chapter, he says, look at all the things that I've built. Then we hear the story of him being cast out in the wilderness for a period of time. And he comes back and says, look at what all God has done. And he goes through these cycles. But the truth is, is that if we look back over our own lives, I think we do the same thing sometimes. We, we say with our breath that, look, God, what you did in all my life. But yet we really give ourselves the credit for everything because I worked that job. I got that education. All of this is mine. Right? But really it's not, because God is the one who gave you the breath in your lungs. Without God, you couldn't have done anything. So I kind of get it. Maybe not quite to the extreme that, that Nebuchadnezzar goes through, but I get this inconsistency that we have within our flesh and within our spirit. But this is why, again, it goes back to the decision that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made before they ever stood before the king. That before they ever got to that place, they first lived a life of obedience in the smaller matters. You see, oftentimes we define our Christian walk by the big battles we face. But the truth is, is your character is never defined in the big battles. Your character is simply revealed in the big battles. Your character is defined and made in your daily decisions, in your habits, in how you live your life and how you choose to make choices and who you turn to as the ultimate authority in all of your choices. That's what defines your character. 
The big struggles we face simply reveals what you really believe about God. But here's the good news. When it's revealed that we have some flaws, God says, yeah, I already knew that. Now let me show you how you can fix that. The, the amazing thing about God is all the way back from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when God came to, to Adam and Eve and they had eaten of the fruit and now they were naked and he said, Adam, where are you? God wasn't asking because he didn't know. God was showing Adam that there's a, a, a flaw in your character and I'm giving you an opportunity to come clean about it. I'm giving you an opportunity to change. The enemy would like us to believe that when we make these wrong choices that we are now condemned and he uses that condemnation to try to draw us away from God, but God wants us to see our wrong choices as conviction to draw closer to him. All right, off my soapbox for a minute here. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 49, we see the results. When Daniel was told what his task was, chapter 2 tells us that he actually went to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they prayed together, showing again that there was a relationship between Daniel and these three Hebrew boys. They were not two separate stories being told, but these were, these were people well acquainted with one another. These were people who had made up their minds together that they would serve the one true God, that they would collectively not defile themselves. So when he was in this hard situation, chapter 2 tells us that he actually goes back to these three Hebrew boys to pray together for God to reveal to him. After this, listen to what Daniel 2, 49 says. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Babylon being the capital here. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So all four of these individuals are now in a place of authority get that they went from being slaves to being rulers because of their obedience to God but how many times have you seen in your own life where you've made the decision to live for God God has blessed you and someone looks over and becomes a little bit jealous the enemy would love nothing more than to steal the joy that God has given you so imagine they see the the people these other people that are captives see these three Hebrew boys in a position of authority when they were slaves, they, they probably were a little bit jealous. So now we get into Daniel chapter 3, the meat of what I want to discuss tonight. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it says this, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Jump down to verse 4, it says, Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Now I want you to imagine for a moment the imagery here. Here when the music is played they are to bow down in an act of worship before this idol. Yet the Hebrews, the, the Jewish people know that when the music is played and they bow down to worship it is only to God. It is only to the one true king. So what they were being asked to do was no small thing. They were being asked to go against everything they have learned their whole life, to bow down and worship this false god, this false idol. And they were being told that if they did not do this, they would be cast into a fiery furnace. Just for a moment, try to imagine yourself in this situation. Sometimes we read these stories and I feel like we don't always get the gravity of the situation. That here your life is being threatened. If you don't do this, just a simple act. It's, it's real easy. Just bow down and pretend like you're worshiping. You don't have to really mean it. Just, just bow down and pretend like you're worshiping this false idol. Verse 8, we pick back up. Wherefore, at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. 
They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worship that, he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Then we see these jealous types come and say, hey, so there's these certain Jews. You know the ones who are slaves, but you made rulers? You know, remember those guys? Yeah, they're not doing what you said to do. I think you should do something about that. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, let me help you understand a little further here what's, what's unfolding. There are events that happen in our lives, whether right or wrong, where the right or wrong answer may not be perfectly clear. There are circumstances that require wisdom and discernment to make the right decision. There are times we face decisions, and it's not a clear cut, like, oh, that's, that's of the devil, we shouldn't do that. Sometimes we don't know exactly, is this right or is this wrong? I don't know. I, I need a little wisdom. I need to talk to somebody. This is not one of those times. This is not one of those cases. You see, for their whole lives they have been told the commandments of God, and the very first commandment they would have learned is this, thou shalt have no other God before Jehovah. And the very second commandment they would have learned is that they are not to make or worship false idols. Check and check. This is exactly what was being asked of them. There was no confusion as to what was being asked here. But what is sad is that the three Hebrew boys were not the only Jews present when this happens. But it seems that they were the only three that were willing to stand up for what they believe. You see, it wasn't just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were taken captive when the Babylonians came around. There were a whole bunch of Jews of the tribe of Judah that were also taken captive. No doubt they were there on that day. How many, I couldn't tell you. The Bible doesn't say. But what we do see is that only these three were the ones who stood up and refused to bow the knee to the false idol. Church, there will be moments in your life that you will be asked to do something that is in clear violation of God's word. And your response cannot be predicated on what other church members are doing. You must make up in your mind that you are going to do the right thing because it is the right thing, not because it is the popular thing. Church, there are times you're going to look around within this very congregation and you're going to see those who may be espoused to be mature Christians making poor decisions. That does not make it okay for you to make those same poor decisions. Your relationship should never be predicated on what other people are doing. Your relationship is predicated on what the word of God says. And this is why before you face your fiery furnace, your life of obedience is based on what the word says and not solely what another man says. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that you shouldn't listen to a preacher. The Bible very clearly tells us that faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Many scriptures tell us that how can I know if I first don't hear, if I don't have someone to under explain it to me. The Bible says that the fivefold ministry is the gift to the church. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. I'm not trying to diminish the role or the capacity of teachers and preachers. But what I am telling you is that preachers and teachers are human beings. And they make mistakes just like everyone else. And your walk with God cannot be dictated by the fact that they do or do not make mistakes. Your life for God must be dictated on the word of God. Only his word is perfect. Only Jesus Christ walked this earth in perfection without making mistakes. So he is the only true yardstick that we can use to measure how we are doing in our walk with God. It's so disheartening sometimes. I see people who come to this church with stories of hurt, how they've been hurt by other churches, and how they will tell stories of how there was a period where they walked away from God because of their hurt by other church members. And I get it. Guess what? We all hurt people sometimes because we're all human. We all make mistakes. Sometimes the hurt isn't even intentional, but it happens. It doesn't take away from the hurt. But what I want you to see is that if already in your hurt 
you begin to question God. What happens when you stand before the fiery furnace? I am in no way trying to condemn anyone here. That is not what I am doing. What I am doing is trying to get you to reevaluate your own commitment to God. We saying, use me, God. Use me. But sometimes I feel like we say, use me, God, unless they hurt me. Use me, God, unless I don't get to sing the song that I want to sing. Use me, God, unless they don't recognize me as volunteer of the month. Use me, God, unless X, Y, and Z. That's not the kind of commitment that God is calling you to. God wants to use you in spite of the hurt. In the Old Testament, when Hagar came before God after being shunned by Sarah, do you know what God said to Hagar? He said, I see your suffering. Now go back and suffer more. He did. He told Hagar, because she was ready to run away, she wanted to leave. And when she came and she was crying, God sent a messenger and, and God told her, he said, I hear your suffering. Now go back. Sometimes you were in a situation where you were feeling hurt and you get so confused because God is saying, yeah, I hear you. Keep going. Stick it out. Because your relationship isn't dictated on what they do. It's what you do in the face of the hurt. It's what you do in the face of the tribulation and the trials. Will you be the man or woman of God despite the hurt? Church, so many times God uses you as the image of God by saying, look how you are to respond in hurt. People see you and say, I know you're hurt, but why are you so happy? I see you're hurt and yet you still give to God. I know your finances and yet you're still donating. Why are you doing that? Because you are being the reflection of God in spite of the world hurting you. That wasn't even in my notes. You must make up in your mind that you're going to do the right thing because it is the right thing, not because it is the popular thing. All right, let's get back to our story. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, I have to think right here that when he sees these three Hebrew boys, his mind goes back to the time when Daniel revealed the image to him. Why do I think this? Because Nebuchadnezzar, like many of these worldly kings, were the type that you only get one chance. You cross the king and that's it. But look what happens here. In verse 14, he, he says, Is it true that you're not going to worship my gods, my image? Verse 15, he gives them another chance. Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of all the instruments and all the music... Ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. He gives them a second chance. But he tells them, But if ye, if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That's, that's, that's a statement right there. It wasn't but a few years earlier that he said, Truly, Daniel, you, you serve the one true God, and yet now he's saying, what God will deliver you out of my hands? So verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The three Hebrew boys understood this. The aim of their life was not how long they could live. The aim of their life was not how much they could earn and what titles they could get. They said, O king, if our God wants, he is more than able to spare us. But if not, we still will not bow down and worship you. Because our life is defined by the king of kings. Verse 19, Then when Nebuchadnezzar 
Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Keep, so here we go. We're getting into to, to the, the lesson that I want to get out of this. They were bound first. They were bound. Then they were cast into the burning fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace was exceeding hot, the flames of the fire slew those men. Second thing, the flames flew or slew the enemy that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loosed, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen to what he says. Ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. The enemy meant for the fire to be a punishment. But, oh, church, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, God is actually calling us to the fire, not to run from the fire. But again, I must remind you that the three Hebrew boys first developed a life dependent on God's provisions while abstaining from the king's meat. Now, you might be saying this is a good story, but how is this relevant to the New Testament church? I'm glad you asked. You see, Jesus first spent time in the wilderness where he denied his flesh food. And when the enemy came in and tempted him, saying, turn this rock to bread, what was his response? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. After this time of denying his flesh, he was consumed by the fire. The Bible says that he walked out of the wilderness full of power. That power was the Holy Ghost, the fire. The disciples walked with Jesus for approximately three years. And during that time, they were being conditioned for the fire to come on Pentecost. You see, Peter, we find in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, was not ready to endure the cross that he would later be crucified on. How do we know that? Because the first time he got challenged when Jesus was taken prisoner, what did he do? He denied Jesus three times. You see, he was working that way. He was building that life. He was getting to the place where he was ready to be in the fire. But he had not quite gotten there yet. But Jesus knew this. And that's why at the Last Supper we see this beautiful illustration of him breaking bread and inviting them to partake of his body. What he was doing was he was letting them know that this world cannot give you what you need to endure what is to come. The only way is to trust in the word of God. When Christ rose from the grave, he appeared again to his disciples. He opened their understanding of the scriptures, and they began to finally understand what it is that they were truly called to do. You see, if Jesus at the very beginning told them, you're all going to die a martyr's death. I can't imagine that many of them, or probably any of them, would have stuck around. They were not ready yet. Their life had not yet been conditioned to serve the king. They were still dependent on the world, their fish, their hobbies, their jobs, for their provisions. And so many times they said, well, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They did not fully yet understand what it is they were being called to. Before they could carry out the mission, they first had to go to a prayer room in Jerusalem. 
When Jesus reappeared to them after he'd risen from the dead, he said, okay, listen, remember all this stuff. Here's what it means. He opened their understanding concerning the scriptures. And he explained to them that they're going to get the promise of God. They're going to get the power of God. But first, you must go to a room in Jerusalem. You will never accomplish your purpose in life if, you're, if you don't first begin in a prayer room. You will never walk in the fire of God if you first don't begin the journey in a prayer room. Reading the Bible from just the knowledge sake, from just remembering scriptures on its own, is not enough. You need it, but it's not enough. The Bible is very clear that it is the Spirit that will lead you and guide you into all truth. You need the Spirit of God so that you understand what it is the Word is actually saying. This is why the disciples who had lived their whole life learning and memorizing the Torah, who knew all of these verses and yet still didn't quite get what Jesus was telling them. They didn't quite understand what Isaiah 53 meant when it said that he would stand a dumb before the, 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 as a sheep dumb before the shearer. They didn't quite get it. But see, when Jesus died, when he paid the price, when he rose again, now the power became available and he opened their understanding through the Spirit. So let me close with this. I'm going to give you the three main purposes of the fire. Number one, the fire consumes. The fire will consume the enemy, but leave the saint unharmed. The fire will consume your life so that your focus is on spiritual things and not on things of this world. When you feel yourself being overtaken by the cares of the world, it probably means that you need to step back into the fire. It means that you're beginning to wane a little bit from the flames and being more consumed by the cares of the world than allowing the fire of God to consume you. The fire will burn away those ex ex external things as it did with the three Hebrew boys. Acts chapter 1 verse 5 says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And listen to what verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You want to be used by God. You sang that, but guess what? That power must come first before you can be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. It is the Spirit that gives you the ability to walk in the world and not be harmed. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They didn't have a brush of the Holy Ghost. They didn't just have goosebumps and it was a cool moment to experience. But they became full of the Holy Ghost. They stood in the fire and allowed God to consume them, to change them. And it was after this that they could stand up on the day of Pentecost and say, let me tell you what's going on. These men are all laughing at us. They think we're drunk, but they don't know yet what's happening. You need that power. Verse 4, And they were filled all with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Purpose number two, the fire purifies. Daniel chapter 23 through 25 says, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake, said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said unto the king, O true, O king. And he said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the fire. Sometimes we get it backwards. We think we have to get rid of all the addictions, all the bad habits, all the mistakes before we can experience what God wants us to experience. And I'm here to tell you that it's the fire that does the purifying. Many of you have heard before the story of, of precious metals like silver and gold. And it's only when they're exposed to the fire and they begin to melt that that dross, the, the, the waste, the impurities come up to the top and they can scoop that off. And then the metal is pure. 
I am trying to tell you that stop trying to be pure on your own. Allow God to make you pure. Stand in the fire of his presence and allow him to begin to work on things in your heart so that you can be what God has called you to be. Those three young men went into the fire as captives, but as the fire surrounded them, those shackles began to fall off. There are times we view our hardships as punishment, but God is trying to break you free from your bondage, and it's only in the fire that freedom can be found. God is wanting to take you to a new level, but he cannot do that as long as you stay prisoner to your addictions, to your habits, to your bad attitudes. Let me go a little further here. Some of you have been asking God for deeper anointing to be used in a new way. But you are so concerned with your ego that you will not allow anyone to correct you, anyone to teach you, anyone to give you advice. What I want you to know is that in 2022, God is wanting to do great things, but we have to be found standing in the fire. And in the fire, we must put our egos aside. In the fire, we realize that it's not about us, but it's about God. In the fire, we must recognize that we all have fallen short of the glory of God, that we all need strengthening, we need encouragement, we need teaching. The Bible tells us that he chastens them that he loves. When God chastens you, it's not because he hates you. If God hated you, he would just leave you alone to die in your sin. But because God loves you, he will send someone to correct you so that you see the error of your ways. I correct my children because I don't want to see them harmed. I correct my children because I don't want them to go down roads that I've gone down. I correct my children because I love them and I want the best for them. And God is a better father than I will ever be. So he will chasten us and correct us and teach us and encourage us and love us so that we will change to become more like him. So let, God, let go and let God burn away your bondage. Finally, number three, the fire spreads. Daniel 3.26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth. Whether they know it or not, this world is crying out for us to come forth, not out of the fire, but with the fire. You see, fire is awesome because fire will consume anything it can get its hands onto. Fire will naturally begin to spread as long as there is something that it can latch onto. God doesn't want you to step into the fire, get what you need, and then leave the fire behind to go change the world. God is trying to show you that the fire changed you, and only the fire can change them. Therefore, the only way that you are going to see them change is if you bring this fire to that person. It is God's power that brings change, not your intellect, not my intellect, not my words. It is God that brings change. We are simply a vessel for the fire. And I love the last sentence of that verse. It says, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth. Jesus told the disciples that the fire of the Holy Ghost would give them power. We see after the fire descended on that first day on the 120, it then spread to about 3,000. I have to say about because during those times, they often counted the men only. They didn't count the wives, the women, the daughters, the children. So, so when Jesus fed the 5,000, it was probably closer to about 10, 15,000 people there. When the, when the Holy Ghost fell on 3,000... It was probably actually more than that. But listen, it didn't stop there. You see, again, we see the world looking at the blessings that are happening. And what do they want to do? They naturally want to come against the church. But look what happens when the enemy comes against people who are standing in the fire. In Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen being stoned to death, the first martyr in the New Testament. But little did they know that the harder they tried to put the fire out, the faster it spread. Acts chapter 8, we see the following, verses 3 through 8, and these are my last passages. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, 
preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Had there been no persecution, there would have been no great joy in that city. This world is going to bring persecution against us. But the gates of hell will not prevail. The more they persecute, as long as we stand in the fire, the faster the word of God can spread to this lost and dying world. Church, if we can take this message to heart and commit ourselves to staying in the fire by praying, fasting, reading the word, then we will see this fire spread throughout Omaha and beyond. Let's all stand. I want to leave you with this last final thought. And I wrote this shortly before I came up here. We hear messages like this. And we say, I'm going to do that. And then Thursday comes or Monday comes. And we look at our schedules. And, and I, I, you know, we all have iPhone schedules now or, or schedules on our phones. And, and man, mine's pretty full. i got a lot of things on my schedule. And I look at how much stuff is on my schedule and I say, I just don't have time to teach a Bible study. I just don't have time to, to, to pray. I just don't have time to do this. But you will find space for what you treasure. You will find the time for what you really want. You choose your priorities. In 2022, will you make room for the King of Kings? Will you prepare for your calling? Will you walk in the fire? Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. That you keep calling and calling. Despite the mistakes I've made in my own life, despite my shortcomings, oh God, you are still reaching for me. And you are still calling me and this church to reach out to this world, to this lost and dying world. I pray, let us tonight make a commitment to walk in the fire, to choose what we prioritize in our lives, to choose to make room for the King of glory, that we will serve you, that we will worship you in all things, Lord, that it, it is not only on Sunday and not only on Wednesday, it's not only in the five minutes in our prayer room, but it's as we go, as we work, as we go to school, as we talk with our friends, let it be a life where the flames are emitted so that they see you in us. Lord, I pray for encouragement, for no doubt the enemy will try to come. He will try to snuff out the flames. But, oh God, you said you are our shield, our buckler, our strong tower. So we stand under your shelter knowing that in you we will not lose. We thank you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for coming. I know there's many out for, for traveling and who are sick and those kind of things. Please keep them in your prayers. And I, I just pray for those of you, hopefully all of you are on the Bible app. Um, we're doing a, a reading plan. We're, we're reading through the Bible chronologically. If you're not, um, see me and I will show you what the plan is so you can get on board and, and start reading. It's not that many days into the new year, so you can still catch up. Um, but I encourage you, find that time to read the word. Find that time to commit yourself to stand in the fire. Be blessed.